congregation, the Lord's Day for tonight is Lord's Day 29. Questions 78 and 79. Question 78, do then the bread and wine become the very body and blood of Christ? Not at all. But as the water in baptism is not changed into the blood of Christ, neither is the washing away of sin itself, being only the sign and confirmation thereof appointed of God, so the bread is the Lord, in the Lord's Supper is not changed into the very body of Christ, though agreeably to the nature and properties of sacraments it is called the body of Jesus Christ. 79. Why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood or the new covenant in his blood and Paul the communion of the body and blood of Christ? And Christ speaks thus not without great reason, namely, not only thereby to teach us that as bread and wine support this temporal life, so is crucified body and shed blood are the true meat and drink, whereby our souls are fed to eternal life but more especially by these visual signs and pledges to assure us that we are as real, part, really partakers of his true body and blood by the operation of the Holy Ghost as we receive by the mouth of our bodies these holy signs in remembrance of him and that all his sufferings and obedience are as certainly ours as we had in our own person suffered and made satisfaction for our sins to God. Congregation again about the Lord's Supper. I call the theme the Lord's Supper well understood. Three points misinterpreting the Lord's Supper. That's possible, of course. Hopefully not among us. Secondly, taught by the Lord's Supper. The Lord is teaching his people in the Lord's Supper things. What is he teaching? Taught by the Lord's Supper. And in third place, a delight in the Lord's Supper. The application, God's children at best, then the Lord gives his closeness, and then they delight in the Lord's Supper. So the Lord's Supper well understood, misinterpreting the Lord's Supper, taught by the Lord's Supper, and delight in the Lord's Supper. Congregation, you probably have never seen it, never heard it. But in Roman Catholic churches, when the priest is holding up the waiver and speak those words, Hoc enim as corpus meum, this is my body. They really believe that something changes. They really believe that a miracle happens and that a piece of bread 
you can see it, it becomes the body of Jesus. Really? Yes, really. You don't see it. It looks like a piece of bread, I know. But they say something happens invisibly. You can't see it, but it has changed. And now it is the body of Jesus. So when you break it, you really break Christ's body. And that wine, you don't taste it, but really becomes the blood of Jesus. So, in fact, of course, the bread does not change at all. It is still bread. Same color, same size, same taste. Yet, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that every crumb of that bread, every crumb, is the entire Christ. They use quite rich words for that. Entire Christ is represented in every crumb. The same Jesus was born from Mary. The same as was humbled and exalted. The same as was crucified and rose from the dead. That same Jesus is not in that bread, but he is that bread. Now that sounds strange, right? A miracle, they say, but you can see it. That is a miracle. Supposedly it is a miracle. That's strange. I read in the Bible of many miracles, but not of invisible miracles. I read that water becomes wine, but it really is wine then, and not water anymore. And I see that people are raised from the dead, but they're not only raised, they're also witnesses, and people see it and say, yes, it is, it is really, it, it happened. So in the Bible, no examples of people raised from the dead, nobody seeing it. Can miracles happen? Would it be possible that a piece of bread becomes the body of Jesus? Is God not the almighty God? Well, he could. He could. The Lord is the almighty one, and even the magicians of Egypt were able to do wonders, and their staves became visible snakes, visible wonders. The Lord could do it. The Lord healed lepers, but the skin became beautiful, and he but they received healing. People have seen it. Fish and bread have been multiplied by the Lord Jesus, and they saw those baskets full of bread that were handed out. The leftovers, they saw that. So now to say that the bread of the Lord's Supper has changed, that you cannot see it, that you cannot taste it, that you cannot feel it, is suspicious and not biblical. This will be the only miracle that you could not see. We also have a problem with the fact that if it will be true that the bread becomes the real body of Christ, it will be possible that Christ's body can be eaten everywhere, that the body of Jesus is omnipresent, 
and therefore would not be the real body of Christ anymore. You know, there'll be a Roman Catholic church in Chilliwack and in Sardis and in Abbotsford, and everywhere is the body of Jesus. That's, that's doing harm to the theology of the fact that the body of Jesus is in heaven. The Lord Jesus rose and ascended. His body is there and only there. There's no proof in the Bible that the body of Jesus is anywhere else or will be omnipresent. Some say that they believe it anyway. And they say, and yet, I believe that that bread is now the body of Jesus. Why? Well, they say, the Bible says so. You believe in the Bible, right? You are Protestants. You always come with the Bible. And the Bible says, this is my body. So that's why you believe it. Many Roman Catholics state. But I'm sorry that is not a valid argument. The Bible indeed says this is my body. But the word is has different meanings, right? Do you take that always literally? You always say, the Bible says, so it must be true. So the Lord Jesus says, I am the door. Is he a door? A real door? Of course, in a metaphorical sense, he is like a door. He's the only door. He's the only way of salvation. Of course, it points to him that he is as a door. One of the Reasons why the Lord Jesus came was to open the door, and he is that door opening. But is he a door himself? I am the vine. Have you ever seen a vine? And the Lord Jesus says, I am the vine. Is she made from wood? Does she have branches? Of course not. So this is my body means this points to my body. That's clear. And then we show friends a picture on our telephones or iPhones and say, look, look at that picture of my cousin, of my nephew, of my friend, of my mom. And this is her. This is name. Really? That, that, that's a telephone. That, that's not a person. No, this is, this is, this is John. This is Andrew. This is Mary. No, this is your telephone. Yeah, come on. You know what that means. You see her. It's a picture of her. And so the Lord's Supper, the bread and wine, are pictures of the Lord Jesus in a sense. Even when Joseph explained to the Pharaoh the dream he had, about the seven fat, fat cows and the, and the seven lean cows. He did, not see, he, he did not deceive the Pharaoh, but he said that the lean cows are the seven lean years. Are. Another aspect is this. Think of the institution of the Lord's Supper by the Lord Jesus in that upper room. Disciples around the table, on recliners, I think. 
The Lord Jesus handing out the bread and speaking, this is my body broken for you. Who was holding that piece of bread? The Lord Jesus. What is that piece of bread? The Lord Jesus. Is the Lord Jesus holding the Lord Jesus? Does not make any sense to me, do you? To you? So when he was at the, at the table, the real Jesus there, and the real Jesus was holding on in his hands the piece of bread. This is my body, meaning this points to me. This is still bread, but it points to me. One billion, 285 million people still believe that the bread changes into the body of Christ. That's how big the Roman Catholic Church is. One billion, 280 million. That's, 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 that's amazing. And all those people are deceiving themselves. All those people are just wrong. All those people think that taking a piece of that bread saves them and that they have really the Lord Jesus in their stomach, that they swallow him, that, they're, that he's close to their heart. They really believe that. Some are thrilled by it. Some love it and say, this is what I need. So, they enjoy the Eucharist, they call it, the Eucharist, are thrilled by it, sometimes assured by it. They feel that way. They feel good about it. They feel fantastic about it. They feel fat when they go home. They had the body of Jesus in their mouth and they're united with the Savior. Feels great to many of them. And they are sincere. Some really believe it. But so you see that some people can really feel that way and mean that way and be sincere that way and not be deceptive that way and yet wrong. And of course, that's also possible with us. It's possible that you mean well and you're still wrong. Misinterpretations. Now let us have a closer look at ourselves as well. Do we fall back into similar mistakes or different mistakes? Anyway, it is possible also among us that we genuinely are wrong. Two things. Attending the Lord's Supper. Why do people do that? It is possible that some are covering things up. That some are really deceptive and just no better. They live in sin and they just would like to pretend to others that they are the most fantastic Christians. And they, against their own conscience, they yet attend the Lord's Supper table. That's close to the sin against the Holy Ghost. So obviously and purposely, knowing that you're wrong as you live in sin and yet attending the Lord's Supper table to cover things up. Others really think that they will receive forgiveness of sins at the table. That something really will happen to them and they are sitting at the table and take the bread and the wine and miracles happen and they go to the Lord's Supper table in order to be saved. 
Some people like, 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 think that way. They really believe that the Lord is adding something, something spiritual. But you know the Lord's Supper is not to receive forgiveness. It's not. The Lord's Supper is not to receive forgiveness, children. When you see people attending, they don't go in there to receive something. They go in there to confess something. To confess that it's for God's people who are, have a new heart and true faith repents already before that. And they come to the Lord's Supper table not to receive forgiveness, but to receive assurance of the forgiveness, to have it certain. Others attend out of custom. They always did. And every time there's the Lord's Supper, again, they just don't take it too seriously and attend again and over and over. They don't even think twice about it. That is just, they're normal. That's what they do. Others try to calm their own consciences. Others say, this is a command. This do in remembrance of me. So that's why I'm going. But that this do is a word to God's people and not to all the, not, not, not to all ones. Something it does not matter whether I attend or not. And this may even stay away. And some are proud of not attending. Proud of not attending. See how smart Satan is, how he can over-encourage, deceive, Oh, you should attend the Lord's Supper because you sometimes feel so bad about yourself. You sometimes cry in church. You sometimes have feelings within. Sometimes you have a little hope. So why don't you attend the Lord's Supper? And he pushes hard. When you have attended, he says, you have eaten and drank and drunk yourself damnation. And he discourages you. He just throws you up and throws you down. And others say, I am unconverted. So, therefore, I do not attend. What can we say about that? We really appreciate, I mean it, we really appreciate your honesty. However, are you playing the victim? Are you victimizing yourself? Do you feel sorry for yourself? And say, I cannot attend the Lord's Supper because I don't have it yet. The Lord has not forgiven it yet to me, given it yet to me. So you victimize yourself, you say, Poor me. I'm asking for it, I'm going to church for it, I'm praying about it, and I don't get it. So that's why I'm not attending. I agree that if you are unconverted, you should not attend. You may not, you cannot. But let me bring you, bring to you, uh, to your attention a few things. In the first place, this. Lately, usually after Christmas, we think a lot of what we read in John 1. He came to his own, and his, and his own received him not. 
What does that mean? He came to his own. Well, he came to his own people, Israel, right? It was his own people, his chosen people, the people of Abraham, his own people. So the Lord Jesus came to his own people, Israel, to the Jews, and they received him not. They were his own people. That's painful. And we are the extension of Israel as a church. They're in the same covenant, in a sense. We therefore receive baptism and also are covenant people. And the whole congregation, all the young people, all the children, all the elderly, we all belong to the covenant church. And the Lord can say to all of us, I come to my own people, and they receive me not. I have paid so much attention to them. I've talked to them all the time since they were young. They are, a serious, they are seriously a people I have been busy with. I came to my own, and my own received me not. Think about that. That could possibly be one of those arrows the Lord is shooting at you. You come home tonight and remember this as the only thing in the ceremony. Something echoing that you cannot shake off anymore. He came to his own and his own received him not. So that means not attending the Lord's supper table. You're right, you should be converted first. Nevertheless, why not? Why have you not repented? Why have you not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Why did you not receive him? He came to his own and his own received him not. They rejected him, in other words. So how come that you are unconverted yet? Has the Lord not given to you yet, you say? What do we read on page 107 of the Kenzo Dord? Something interesting. I will read it to you. That is Article 9 on page 107. It is not the fault of the gospel... The gospel is not a fault, no, nor of Christ. You can't blame him either. After therein, nor of God. Let me start again. It's not a fault of the gospel, nor of Christ, offered in the gospel, nor of God, who calls men by the gospel and confers upon them various gifts that those who are called by the ministry of the word refuse to come and be converted, the fault lies in themselves. Some of whom, when called, regardless of the danger, reject the word of life. Others, though they receive it, suffer it not to make a lasting impression on their heart, Therefore, the joy arising only from a temporary faith soon vanishes, and they fall away, while others choke the seed of the earth by perplexing cares and the pleasures of this world, and produce no fruit. This our Savior teaches in the parable of the sower. 
So, summarizing it, if you cannot attend the Lord's Supper table because you're unconverted, the question is, why are you unconverted? And the fault of that is not in Christ, is not in God, is not in the gospel, but is in us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that being unconverted is your own fault and nobody else's? Of course, the Lord can withhold things, and the Lord is not obliged to give anything to anyone, yet we are robbing ourselves from it. So, unconverted ones must stay away from the table, but the fact that unconverted is their own fault. Being unconverted is not a situation, is not a situation God has put you in. So it's not dropped you in that bucket of being lost. We have brought ourselves in there. And God doesn't hold anyone back and does not put up any obstacle on their own. All the obstacles are ours. We put, we put the obstacles in, 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 on, the, on the road. We refuse. We are passive. Passive and yet also active. Being unconverted is also an active way of resisting and re- not repenting and keeping yourself back. It is what the apostle, what, what Stephanus said, ye always resist the Holy Ghost like your fathers also ye. And also God's children can possibly misinterpret Lord's Supper, right? For example, by not attending, because they may think that it's better not to, because of the fear of men, or because they have certain conditions set. They said, Lord, first I have to conquer this sin, that this sin is completely gone, if it's gone, I will attend the Lord's Supper table. If it's not gone, I can't. I'm not talking about living in sin. I'm talking about falling in sins and weaknesses. Now, some say I need to have a clear understanding of the cross and of the resurrection and be spoken free before I go to the Lord's Supper table. I first need assurance from the Lord. And others say I need to be taken out of my pew unconsciously, that I sit at the table not realizing that I got up and not realizing that I walked up through the aisle. There's just something that an invisible hand has to draw me. But that's not biblical either. Although it sometimes happens that God's people, before they know it, are sitting at the table, which is also a little scary, right? Because was there a week of preparation? Do we know for sure? So God's children can also make mistakes. Especially when they set conditions. Or what is Satan powerful? How deceptive he is. Not only making life miserable for God's people, also for the unconverted ones brings to the second thought taught by the Lord's Supper. 
<clears throat> Corrugation is in the Bible a horizontal line and a vertical line, right? Like in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, the first table is about God, vertical line from God to man and from man to God. It's a horizontal line that we, what we do to our neighbor and to each other. And so the Lord's Supper is also, as has a, so a vertical line and a horizontal line. The horizontal line is that God's people are sitting together at the table. Not by themselves, not individually, but at the same table together and have communion with each other. Communion with the saints, fellowship. We should not underestimate that. That's important, that, that we see each other at the table, that we recognize the work of the Lord, that we view each other as people drawn out of the darkness. But there's also a vertical line in the, in the Lord's Supper between God and sinners. Let's talk about the vertical line. Is that from earth to heaven or from heaven to earth? In the Lord's Supper. While you say, of course, when the Lord begins, the work of salvation is from above to, to earth. The Lord, the Lord makes a connection from above. I know. But I mean the Lord's Supper. Is Lord's Supper instituted that the Lord's children at the table present something to the Lord? Lord, this we do in remembrance of thee. We praise thee, we give thee glory. So they give something, or is the Lord giving something? It's both. And Huldrich Zwingli, a Swiss reformer, respected, was wrong here. He said in the Lord's Supper, it's only bringing something. It's only giving praise to God only remembering him, only listening to this do in remembrance of me. It's for him. It is from earth to the Lord. It's worshiping. It's glorifying him. It's remembering him from earth, vertical line to heaven. Luther, Calvin said no. It is, of course, also a line from earth to heaven but even more importantly, from heaven to earth, down from heaven. The Lord feeding his people at the table. The Lord reminding them of his salvation. The Lord comforting his church from the Lord to them. The Lord wants to convey something during the Lord's Supper. He wants to convey that he loves his people, that he knows them, he cannot possibly forget about them. And the Lord's Supper is not only a remembrance meal in which God's people glorify God and give thanks to the Lord Jesus, lifting up the banner of their king. The Lord does not honor his people, but satisfy them and feed them. He feeds his people at the table. So let us See what the Bible says about that. Luke 22, verse 15. 
And he said unto them, and to his disciples, to nobody else, and he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So that's double, right? With desire, I have desired. That is a Hebrew way of saying things, also adopted in the New Testament sometimes. And have it said in a double sense. I seriously, I extremely desire to have that supper with you. So the Lord Jesus spoke about his desire and his own ever faithful love for his people. And God still didn't need that. The precious Lord Jesus, the eternal Son of the Father who is without sin, the immaculate Lamb of God, cannot forget you. So you don't forget him. Every remembrance of him, I do this. Don't forget he does not forget about you. That's the main thing of the Lord's Supper table. The Lord Jesus saying to his people, I don't forget you. I remember you forever. Your names are engraved in my hands. And, 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 and the, 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 the walls of Jerusalem, the fallen walls in ruins are constantly before me, before my face, in, on my, in, in my thoughts. So, he remembers, not only in general his people, but individually. We experience the love of family, right? Friends, husbands, wives, children. But what is it compared to the love of Christ? When the Lord Jesus says personally, let me say it in a simple way for the children. And the Lord Jesus says to his people, I love you with an everlasting love. I will never divorce you. I can never forget about you. You count me on my thoughts. I protect you. I, I'm your father. I'm your husband. I'm the vine. I'm the door. I'm the way. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. I'm everything to you. To remind you. And that is especially what the Lord reminds his people of at the Lord's Supper table, coming from above down to them at the table. His loving kindness is better than life. Did you hear that? His loving kindness is better than life. What is life? What is the best in life, children? What's the best in life? We have friends, going out, go to school, some, some hobbies, some things you are excited about. Maybe older people. What is your life? What is the core of your life? Something that you cannot miss and that is important, that gives you, that makes you tick. What, what is it? His loving kindness is better than life. Is that true for you? Do you know what it means? And do you wholeheartedly agree? Do you sometimes, do you sometimes taste that loving kindness of my Lord that's more than life to me? Do you sing it also sometimes? Do you sometimes hear his voice in the Bible, in the, in the, in the scriptures through the Holy Spirit, that you also discover that you are for his account, under his protection? You know, God's children also feel sometimes distance. This is to others, and this is to the Lord. 
at the Lord's supper table, the Lord wants to comfort them, even with their heavy crosses, with all the problems in this life, and he wants to remind them of the fact that whatever happens, nothing can separate them from the love of Christ. Romans 8. Who shall, who can ever, who shall separate us, the church, from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, nothing. Nothing can possibly separate the church from that love of Christ. That's the last time that you tasted it. Month ago, year ago, people of the Lord, though you have a craving for it, say, Lord, so, so, so long ago, please come back, please be first. I have left you again with, as, a, as, a, as a dumb sheep. Beg for that. Say, Lord, I, I can't let you go. I need to know it again. I need to have it alive again. Pray for the Holy Spirit to put a stamp on your heart again. And also, regarding the Lord's Supper, if that's again administered, ask for that stamp of the Holy Spirit that he says, that you hear his voice, I love you with an everlasting love. So Holy Supper is a right the Lord has earned for his church. He has no rights, but he has given the right, even for the weak ones, the little ones in faith. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. That is a seeking in faith, of course, not just once in a reading piece of the Bible and then close it again and have a quick prayer or maybe a long prayer. It is that seeking in your heart, that diligent seeking, that desire, that hunger for the living God. So, do you have your eyes opened? Are you sleeping again? You know, I sometimes speak to people in church and members, and they say, if, if, if I would ask, what is the best sermon you've ever heard? I don't know. It sometimes looks, feels like that they've never listened. If I ask, what is the best text in the Bible that speaks to you? I say, I don't know. There is no special text. Nothing has ever spoken to me. That's so unbelievable. And that's just reality for some of you. And the Lord is saying, repent ye. Your eyes need to be opened. You need to be seated, you're a lost one. And that is salvation in another. But the love is ignited in the hearts of God's people when the Holy Spirit applies the word and when the Holy Spirit applies the sacrament of holy baptism. Then they give honor and glory. He loved first, oh yes, and now you love him too. It's a wonderful bond at the Lord's Supper table. Being loved and loving back. Having that fellowship with the Lord. The Lord, look at me and I look at him. See? 
It's not something in your mind only. It's a, it's, it's a hard thing. It's experiential. It's, it's, it gives special feelings. It gives you humility. It breaks your heart. It makes you truly happy. It gives you true satisfaction. It teaches you salvation from the Lord. So, taught by the Lord. And thirdly, delight. Congregation Luther, Martin Luther, also had specific thoughts about the Lord's Supper table. He did not agree with Zwingli. He said, no, that is too poor. That is not enough. It's not only that we remember the Lord. It's also the Lord remembers us and he gives himself. And Luther was a very emotional person. Lots of feelings, high heights and deep depths. You also had experienced special times that they were swallowing the bread and was overwhelmed by the thought that the Lord Jesus was in his heart now. He said, eating the bread. And he could not shake that doctrine of the consubstantiation. In the Roman Catholic Church, they taught, they taught the transubstantiation, the trans from one side to the other, from bread to wine. So from, from, from bread to the body of Christ and from blood to wine. Luther knew that it was not true. The bread remained bread, but he said, you know, look at the bread. Feel the bread. It's real bread, isn't it? But you know, Inside of that bread is the body of Christ. You don't see it. The bread has not changed, but in, the, in that bread is the body of Jesus. We call this consubstantiation. That the body of Christ is omnipresent, everywhere present, anywhere. So when you say this is my body, it was true even, right? Because it was, there's always body of Christ in it. John Calvin was not happy about that. He did not see it in the Bible. He said to Zwingli, it's more. He said to Luther, it's, it's different. The body of Jesus is in heaven, right? It's only the real, natural, physical, raised, ascended body of Jesus is in heaven. His disciples saw him leaving at a certain place, at a certain time, it was history, it was the real thing. The Lord Jesus is only in heaven with his human nature. But how can you eat him then? Well, Calvin did not only say with a spiritual mouth, but he said also with a spiritual mouth you eat the real body of Jesus. So that's why we have that peace in our form. That's really Lutheran. That's really Calvinistic, rather. While you eat that the, ex the external bread, lift your hearts to the heavenly bread and enjoy it, delight in it. Right? That's what the Lord says. But also think of the Belgian Confession in, on page 35, 
Article 35, page 23. Now, as it is certain and beyond all doubt that Jesus Christ has not enjoined to us the use of his sacraments in vain, so he works in us all that he represents by us by these holy signs, though the manner surpasses our understanding and cannot be comprehended by us. So the way God's people eat the bread and so eat the Lord Jesus is something you cannot understand. It surpasses our understanding, cannot be comprehended as the operation of the Holy Ghost are hidden and incomprehensible. You can never wrap your head around it about eating the body of Christ. In the meantime, we err not when we say that what is eaten and drunk by us is the proper and natural body and the proper blood of Christ. So that is what we call the extra-Calvinisticum. That's what the Bible teaches there in 1 Corinthians 10. That the Lord's Supper is called the fellowship, the communion with the Lord Jesus, communion with him. So it is an eating of him, something incomprehensible, something you cannot explain to people. It's, it's deep, but it's real. And God's people eat with a spiritual mouth, not with a physical mouth, of course. With a spiritual mouth, they eat the body of Jesus that is in heaven. And that gives them a true joy. Do we know him in the spirit? Do we know him in the word? Do we know that Lord Jesus? You know, Anna saw the Lord Jesus with her, with her natural eyes. The two men of Emmaus saw the Lord Jesus naturally. Simeon saw him literally. Thomas saw him literally. That's not given anymore. But waits until the resurrection. Then God's people may, with their physical eyes, see the physical Jesus. So they have to wait for that. It's a waiting people. But now, on earth, the Lord Jesus let already taste his people something of that heaven by letting them taste the grace of God, the body of the Lord Jesus, when they eat him with their spiritual mouth. That's what we read in Psalm 63, verse 5. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. You may think, what is that? Marrow? A piece of bone of a cow with marrow in there? And fatness? There's something we don't need. You see, we tell the butcher, just keep that keep it yourself. I don't need marrow, I don't need the bones. I don't need the fat, I only need the meat. But not in Israel. That marrow was a delicacy to suck that bone out, to suck it out and 
tasted, delicious. They, they thought it was the best delicacy. And the fat of a fat tail sheep or something was so nourishing and so filling and satisfying. They had eaten a piece that's just so good, that, that tastes terrific. My soul should be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. Sometimes God's people, some at the table, they just taste it and they have that feeling. That tastes so good. As a hungry sinner tastes the goodness of the Lord Jesus and eats his body, his broken body and his shed blood in a spiritual sense. Or are you standing afar off? You're complaining that you are so poor. Or you don't see how rich Christ is. Don't you see how rich Christ is? He will not cast away them that come unto him. And when people seek him with the heart and hunger for the Lord Jesus Christ and repent and believe in him, they will be saved. What a delight that is. You know, there are, they usually say two types of people in church, right? Converted and unconverted. Let me say three. Three people, three types of people in church tonight. You know the unconverted ones? For their own account, children of wrath, under the curse, not, not on the narrow pathway, they're on the broad way yet. You know how they, how they are, right? And God's people have repented, have been drawn out of the darkness, brought to the marvelous light, paid for on the narrow pathway. Our forefathers often talked about the third type of people. And they call them the awakened ones. The awakened ones. But who are they? Are they converted? Are they unconverted? They did not know. They did not know where to place them. And they thought it's the best to tell them that they're unconverted yet. So they make haste. But they, are, they have a conscience that speaks. They are seriously minded. They seek the Lord. And yet something is holding them back. There's yet halting between two opinions. They're not far from the kingdom of God. They're close, and yet not in. Dangerous situation. Close the door, not in the door. Close the ark, not in the ark. You like to have an example? Think of that rich young ruler. The Lord Jesus talked to him. Then Jesus, beholding him, he looked at his face, he heard his voice, he heard he had kept the law of the Lord. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. So the Lord Jesus loved him, loved him, so close to God's kingdom, and yet he was unconverted. He missed the true love of God for his people. But so close yet. So are you close? 
or Mark 12. And then Jesus saw that he answered discreetly. He said unto him, Thou art not far. Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that does ask him any question. Not far. I think most of us, if not all, are not far from the kingdom of God. And you belong to the congregation, to his own people, in outer sense. And it's all received him now. See? But I would say, don't rest there. If you're close to the kingdom, don't rest there. Don't, don't stop here and seek and wrestle on. You must be saved. You must have the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he, he reveals himself in the Bible. He reveals himself in the Lord's Supper. You need, you need him, that Savior. He said, follow me. Think of someone. And we are closing. Someone. It's about harvesting. About wheat harvesting. If all those seeds, all the kernels in the, in, the, in the head. And they need to be separated, right? All the kernels, one side. And the chaff, on the other side. And the chaff is blown away. And the chaff is burned often. It was worthless. And so when we die, we are grain or we are chaff. And the chaff will be just blown away with the wind and we will just be removed from the throne of God. So think about that. One, one, one One or the other. Saved or chased away as a stray dog. Right? Somebody, a straight dog in the yard. Go away. Say, no, you have no, no, no use for the dog. And when we are not saved, and we are for, before God's throne, and we, and we die, I don't know you. Ye that work iniquity. But others will say, with the warmest voice, come in, ye blessed of the Lord. Amen.